Morning. Our scripture this morning is Hebrews 2, 5 to 18. I was getting a musical intro. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 2, 5 to 18. It is not to angels that he has been subjected the, wor the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who made people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, and in the assembly I will sing your praises. And again I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here I am, and the children of God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who will all their lives be held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he, has, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Abby, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to uh, welcome you all, but especially if those of you are visiting us for the first time, I want to say we're very glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning, and uh, we pray that you are blessed by your time here. We're currently in a series on the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is found in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And this is our second week in this book. Now last week, our speaker, Ben Reynolds, he kind of took us up to the heights with Hebrews chapter one. We saw how God has been speaking throughout history through the prophets. We saw how God continued to speak to us when he sent Jesus, his son. And we saw that God continues to speak to us even today. We learned that Jesus is superior to the angels, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, seated on the throne. And then we were encouraged to hold on to our faith, even in the midst of discouragement and hardship, even when we are tired. 
anyone tired this morning? <laughs> I love that you answered so enthusiastically. Yeah, I'm a little tired. We're all tired. It's been a tiring couple of years. I know that as we feel tired, Hebrews is a great book to get into because it was written to people who were tired. And it was written to worshipers who were tired. They were tired of church. They were tired of volunteering. They were tired of Christian education. They were tired of spiritual practices and personal devotions. They were tired of the routine. Maybe they were even a little tired of Jesus. This is a place that we all get to. It's the reality of who we are. But that's why Hebrews is a good book for us to look at. And Ben, he took us to the heights last week. Um, so this week, I'm going to take us down to the depths. Once again, it's my job to bring you crashing down to reality. We're going to look at Christ and his humanity. We're going to look at his suffering. We're going to look at Jesus, the true human. Just as I started by saying that God speaks, we trust that he is speaking to us this morning. So let's quiet our hearts so we can hear his voice. God, we thank you that you are alive and active and speaking to us. God, grant that by your spirit we would hear your voice this morning, that you would speak to our hearts and that, God, you would meet each person where they, were, where they are at and give them what they need to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have any of you ever tried to submit a form online? <laughs> Only to be met with this pop-up, this message, and I have a picture in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's called uh, a CAPTCHA, I believe, CAPTCHA verification. And so they have a series of boxes and it will say, you know, we need to know that you're human, so click on all the streetlights or all the cars. Um, click on all the stop signs. And whenever I see this pop up, I get really nervous. <laughs> Somehow it feels like a trick. And it can be hard to know, well, what is actually a bridge? Or is this car fully in one box and only in the other? Which box do I click on? And I go through a bit of anxiety <laughs> when this pops up. When you finally get through it, you've selected the right pictures, there's a box, and you click on the box, and it says, I am not a robot. If you can get through that, you're allowed to proceed onto the website or submit your form. You've proven that you are human. Well, they didn't have this um, back in the time of when Hebrews was written. They didn't have the CAPTCHA verification. But I think that Hebrews, too, can kind of serve as a captive verification for Jesus. It's talking about Jesus' proof that he was truly human. And I think the preacher, the preacher as in the person who wrote the book of Hebrews and who is giving this message to the hearers, 
The preacher is driving this point home. He wants to say, yes, Jesus was fully God, but was also fully human. And the preacher starts by talking about the significance of humans. Humans were made a little lower than the angels. And I think we'll get the verse up just so you can read along with me. Humans were made a little lower than the angels. And God crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And in putting everything under their feet, under our feet, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything as subject to them, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus. This one line is full of so much promise and so much hope. And we get the sense from these verses that things are not as they should be. You know, God created humans for a purpose and to fill a certain role. And we call this the created order of things. There is an order to the way things were made. And God intended that humans should care for and rule over creation with wisdom and creativity. Caring for the animals, caring for each other, tilling the ground, producing food, and enjoying all that creation has to offer. But something went wrong. Sin entered the world and the created order became disordered and chaotic. Relationships were broken, the ground was cursed, and humans experienced a very painful isolation from God. I told you I was gonna bring you down this morning. But this is the world, this is the world that we're in. We have the world as it was meant to be, and then the world that we experience. And as the preacher to the Hebrews says, we do not see everything at present as it should be. I've been watching this show over the last little while. It's called Stranger Things. Has anyone seen this show? Okay, one person. <laughs> Two, okay, good. Uh, maybe you've heard of it if you haven't seen it, but it's okay, I will, I'll give you a little summary. Um, so it's set in the 80s. Uh, maybe that's why I like it. I'm a product of the 80s. And there's, you know, everything you'd expect from a show from that era. There's colorful outfits, there's really great music, and it's about a small fictional town in Indiana called Hawkins. And there's a group of kids that are kind of the main characters. They're always, you know, riding their bicycles around. But in this town of Hawkins, strange things start to happen. People go missing without a trace. Shadowy figures appear in photographs. And for those people who are paying attention, the kids especially, they start to realize that something isn't right. Something's going on. Now eventually, people start to uncover what is called the upside down. 
The upside down is a parallel dimension. So for the town of Hawkins, the upside down is exactly the same, except for a few key differences. The town is always dark and stormy in the upside down. It's inhabited by monsters. And it's unlikely that if you get stuck there, you'll ever escape because those monsters will try to eat your face off. It is in every way upside down compared to the way the real Hawkins is supposed to be. And every good story, every good show has a hero. And so in this show, the hero is a little girl named Eleven. And she has these amazing powers. And these powers allow her to go between the two dimensions, to be in the upside down or to be in the real world. And because of that, she can rescue those who are stuck in the upside down. She can defeat the monsters with her powers. She can enter into a place of chaos and disorder and restore order and peace. See where I'm going with this? No, this storyline is the same of the, the line that we're getting um, in Hebrews. And the preacher is trying to get this across, that we are experiencing a dimension, but there is another dimension, a better dimension. Okay, we're not quite living in the upside down. We don't have monsters trying to eat our faces off. But there are two dimensions. There is the heavenly realm where God is seated on the throne and where peace and justice reign, where everything is good and lovely and as it should be. And then there is the earthly realm, the realm we experience every day, a world that is broken, hurting, and chaotic. And because of the way God created us, we know it's not supposed to be this way. We know this isn't it. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says that God has set eternity in the hearts of humans. We understand that there's more, there's another dimension, and we long for that. But we don't see that. But we do see Jesus. We see Jesus who came down, who broke into our world, into our dimension, and showed us what it was like to experience healing and reconciliation and peace. We see Jesus who taught us what it means to live as a child of God in a community of believers with brothers and sisters who are very different and yet able to love each other. We see Jesus who shows us exactly how much God loves us by dying for us on the cross, by giving his life so that we could experience eternity. So before we talk more about the death part, let's talk about the fully human part. In verse 14, we read that Jesus shared in their humanity, their being those who have flesh and blood. Jesus shared in their humanity, 
and he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. He was human. And what does that mean that Jesus was fully human? And this is something that is a mystery. I'm not going to explain it in perfect clarity. Something that people have struggled with, um, especially in the decades and the centuries after Jesus walked the earth, died and came back to life and went up to heaven. It was confusing. Well, was Jesus really human? When I saw him walk by me that time, was he walking or was he floating? Now, in the centuries after Jesus walked the earth, many heresies popped up, and a heresy is just a belief that goes against um, the doctrine that the church is teaching, against what the church believes. But there were all these heresies popping up that were saying that, no, Jesus wasn't fully human. Maybe he was only a little bit human. There was docetism that taught that Jesus only appeared to have a human body because they believed that bodies are evil, so God can't really have a human body. There was Apollinarianism that taught that Jesus had a human body, but not a human mind. Arianism taught that Jesus was created by God and so didn't always exist with God. So in other words, that Jesus has a birthday, not Christmas, but God Jesus has a birthday. So we could spend a lot of time dissecting these heresies, uh, which maybe one or two of you would enjoy doing. Um, we're not going to do that. Those have already <laughs> been dealt with. The church had councils. They developed creeds. And these creeds help to show you know, what the church believes about, about Jesus, about the fact that he was fully God and fully human. And if you want to um, later on, I encourage you to go look that up and look up what, what those heresies said and how the church addressed them. But at the end of the day, at the end of these councils, I imagine they used um, Hebrews 2 a lot as they were going through this. And at the end of the day, they concluded that, yes, Jesus was fully human, fully God, but also fully human. Why did God need to become human? I'm not sure if you've ever fantasized about having God's power or thought, if I were God, I would do this. Think about it. If you had the chance to be God for a day, for an hour, for five minutes, what would you do? We talked about this in our Bible study on Thursday, and uh, there are a lot of very spiritual answers, so good job, <laughs> everyone. But things like eliminate poverty, Eliminate hunger. Solve one of the many problems that affect so many people in our world. You could cure diseases. You could end violence. So many things that we could do if we had God's power. But God's ultimate display of power, God's ultimate display of being godly, was to become human. It was to suffer and to die. And in that act, that was the most godlike thing that God could do. Why? Because 
This was the only way to restore creation to that perfect order that it was meant to be in. And it was the only way to restore us humans, us who were created a little lower than the angels, us who were created to be crowned with glory and honor. It was the way for us to be called Jesus' brothers and sisters. As we think about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made, I want to talk a little bit about sacrifices. So for Israel, if we look at the Old Testament, we see that sacrifices were a very big part of religion for them. They were offered to atone for people's sins, but it was also a chance for people to be near to God. You see, God had his dwelling in the temple, so at regular intervals, whether it was yearly or seasonally for festivals, people would travel to the temple and they would take their sacrifices, their animals or their birds, and they would take it to the priest. And in being near to the priest, in being near to the temple, they would also be near to God. So it was a chance for them to experience nearness, experience closeness to the Father. The only problem with this is that God didn't make us to be near to him. God doesn't just want us to be near to him. God wants us to be with him. With our Father. And so Jesus, by sending Jesus, the Son, as a fully human person, that happened. God with us. God became God with us. And Jesus, as he died on the cross, his death, it did. It covered the sins of the world. It was the sacrifice that was needed because it was enough to happen once, once and for all. It didn't have to happen yearly or seasonally or at a certain festival. It happened once and for all, and that was enough. And on the cross, death that had ruled the human body for so long was defeated. On the cross, death that had been the worst thing that a human could face was transformed into a way for us to be with God. Just think about that for a moment. The worst thing that we could face God took that and transformed it into something that is good, something that is restorative, something that gets us access to him. I brought you down, but I'm bringing you back up again, right? Or else it wouldn't be church. We got to come back up. So for all those... All those of us who were subject to the power of death, which was everyone, all those of us who lived in fear of death, we can now live in freedom. Freedom in knowing that death has been defeated. And the preacher notes that this is not something for the angels. What happened wasn't for the angels, it was for 
for the descendants of Abraham. And not just those who are blood descendants of Abraham, but for all those who choose to obey Christ, all those who are sharing in that blessing that God gave Abraham, all those of us who are here today. So Christ is the firstborn of all creation, meaning that he is the heir to all that God has made. Again, with the firstborn, we're not saying Christ was born at a certain time, but that he has inherited all that God has created. And as his brothers and sisters, we get to share in that inheritance. We get to share in his salvation. (coughs) It is a miraculous thing that God made himself like us. And in response, God asks us to make ourselves like Christ. Not through anything we can do, but through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So if you are ever tempted to think, oh, I can't be like Jesus. I can't be like him. Let these verses that we heard this morning, let them come to mind. We don't have to go up to the heights because Jesus came down to the depths. We don't have to reach up because God reached down. And in coming down, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. In coming down, he experienced illness and loneliness and pain. In coming down, God suffered. And as we're struggling to be like Jesus, as we think about all the things that we struggle with, remember that Jesus struggled with those things too. It's hard to imagine. I think we have, you know, the picture of the floating Jesus who is holy and, you know, nothing can faze him. But that's not what we see when we read the New Testament. When we read the accounts of his life, we see very human moments for Jesus. And I hope that those can be encouraging to us. Jesus gave us the example of lowering himself for love's sake. So a question for us today as we ponder what this means is to ask How can I lower myself to serve others? How can I lower myself so that others can experience the love of Christ? During the first part of this week, I got to spend a few days with uh, some families from Spring Garden. I think we had six teens and tweens and then various parents thrown in there. And we went downtown with an organization um, through YU. It's called Project Serve. And what they do is they have uh, mission experiences for families. So you can sign up to join them, and they take you downtown and introduce you to different ministries who who are working on the ground there. We got to spend time at a refugee house that houses people that are newly arriving to Canada. 
We got to spend time at a place called St. Francis Table. They charge a dollar for their meals. And then we also got to spend time with a couple of other organizations who are helping those who are living on the street, who are experiencing homelessness and poverty. And one thing that stood out to me about all these organizations was the way they treat people and the way they view people with dignity. They see them as people who are made a little lower than the angels. I think the temptation is to think, well, if you have nothing, the bar should be low for you. You shouldn't expect too much, right? Whatever we can give you, that should be good enough. But this isn't how they operate. They understand that each person they are serving is made in the image of God. And that as they serve each person, they are serving Christ. And so it doesn't matter if you can only pay a dollar for your meal. It doesn't matter if you're sleeping on the street. You will be treated as someone with value and someone with worth because you are. And we got to serve alongside these ministries for a few days. And the work wasn't glamorous. There was a lot of uh, manual labor. There was some kitchen work. I seem to remember someone screaming about maggots in a garbage can. I don't know if anyone else remembers that. That was not in the kitchen. I just want to <laughs> say that. That was outside. But it struck me that when you lower yourself, as we lower ourselves, there's an automatic raising up of others who are around us. It's some theological mystery, some truth that when we lower ourselves, those around us are raised up. And when we lower ourselves, we are bestowing on others the dignity they deserve. Now Jesus did this, he lowered himself down to the human world and went beyond that, he lowered himself down to the grave. And in that lowering, we read in Matthew 27 that the tombs broke open and the bodies of many saints were raised to life. I hope that gives you shivers. This is something that is metaphorical, but also literal. As Jesus lowers himself down, bodies are raised to life. And this is what it means for us to live in the kingdom of God. That when we choose the way of selfless service, others are raised to life. Raised to the life that the world so often denies them. God created them, created us, to be crowned with glory and honor. The preacher to Hebrews started by saying that we should fix our eyes on Jesus. Ben gave a farming example. Um, I don't have a farming example, but I'll give you a dance example. Um, if you've ever seen Swan Lake, <laughs> anyone? 
Okay, yes, it's wonderful. Um, so I went to see it. I went to the ballet for the first time before since COVID, um, and I saw Swan Lake, and there was a guest ballerina from Russia, but the kind of pinnacle of Swan Lake is when the black swan comes out and she does 32 fouette turns. Now, a fouette turn, um, it's a very difficult turn to do. You kind of swing, I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna show you, <laughs> but you swing your leg out and the motion turns your body around. And as you're turning on point, um, not on flat feet, but you're on point, um, you get more momentum to keep going. There might have been a time in my life where I could do three fouette turns. But for ballerinas who are, you know, that's their job, they're working hard and doing this day by day, um, they can do, you know, maybe 60 and 20. But Swan Lake, 32 fouette turns, and it is very difficult. <laughs> it's very strenuous to do. But the only reason a ballerina can do this is if she has a spot. And when you're learning to turn, you learn um, to pick a spot. So. It can be a spot on the wall, anything, and your eyes have to stay on it. And as you turn, your eyes are always the last thing. And they whip around and find that spot. And if you fix your eyes on the spot, you can do amazing things. You can do 32 fouette turns. I know you're not as impressed as I am by this, but it is amazing. Go on YouTube after, just look it up. Black Swan, 32 fouette turns, you'll be Hopefully, very impressed. But you have to fix your eyes on an anchor, on something that doesn't move. And that allows you to do amazing things, miraculous things. And those miraculous things might be getting out of bed in the morning, <laughs> might be continuing on day after day when you're tired, might be cleaning maggots out of a garbage bin, it is whatever God is calling you to do. So may we fix our eyes on Jesus. And while we live in this realm, may we not forget about the heavenly realm. The heavenly realm that is breaking into our world every time we lower ourselves, every time we say yes to Christ and answer his call to serve. Let's pray. Holy God, may we see ourselves through your eyes so that we can see others through your eyes. And God, as we go about our days, as we do things that are tedious or miraculous, God, train us to fix our eyes on you and to see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.